Recording in progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Friday, June 10th, 2022, and we are going to study uh, the, 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 the end, the last reading of the Torah portion. The Torah portion this week is Nassau. And we're also going to study the Haftorah, which is absolutely fantastic. All right, so we have a lot of really great things to cover today. Let's jump right in. All right, once again, Torah portion this week is Nasso. This is reading number seven. Oh, sorry, reading number seven, also chapter seven. Happens to be both seven. Sevens are wild. And just to kind of reset the room over here a little bit. Um, in the last two readings, reading five and six, the Torah describes what happened when the Mishkan was inaugurated, when the Mishkan was dedicated. So on the day of the Mishkan's dedication, which would have been, which was Rosh Chodesh Nisan in the year uh, 2449, um, the first day of Nisan 2449, which would have been uh, just a, a little bit less than a year after the Exodus, that's when opening day of the, of the Mishkan was. And on that day, the Nesim, Nesim is the, the Hebrew for the leaders, the princes of each of the 12 tribes, so the, the princes, the leaders, the Nesim, they brought a gift. What was the gift that they brought? So we read about it in the fifth reading. They brought six covered wagons and 12 oxen, two oxen each to pull, sorry, two oxen to pull each wagon. That was one gift. In addition to the gift, they also brought a series of sacrifices every single day. For the first 12 days of the month of Nisan, first 12 days of the opening of the Mishkan, each tribal leader brought a series of gifts, including, um, oh no, not Siri, that's fu- very funny. I had Siri pop up on my computer because it said series. Anyway, getting very uh, excited hearing something that sounds like, uh, like, like the artificial intelligence name. Anyway, so there were... Um, the 12 tribal leaders, each of them on one, of, on, on, on one day of the first 12 days uh, of, of the month of Nisan, from when the Mishkan opened, they brought a series of offerings. They brought silver bowls and basins filled with flour mixed with oil for a meal offering. They brought incense and a golden spoon for an incense offering. They brought a bunch of animals for an animal offering. And uh, Yehuda brought the, the, the leader of Yehuda brought day one, and then Yisachar, and then Zavulun, and then Reuven, and then Shimon, and they each took every tribal leader took one of the one of the days. So in this reading, reading seven, the Torah kind of uh, summarizes and tallies up all of the all of these gifts and gives us a grand total. Okay, so with that with that uh, with that in mind, let's jump in. Numbers chapter seven, verse eighty-four. It's a long reading. This was the dedication offering of the altar presented by the chieftains, Nesie, Yisrael, the chieftains. It's interesting, it's not translated. Chieftains of Israel. It says Nesie Yisrael. Israel is not being translated here. Someone, someone send a note to Chabad.org for their translation. It's bizarre that that word is left out. Anyway, these were, uh, this was the dedication offered, offering of the altar presented by the chieftains of Israel of the Jewish people, on the day it was anointed. There were 12, and so here we get the grand total, there were 12 silver bowls, each one brought one, 12 silver basins, 12 gold spoons. Now the weight of each silver bowl 
was 130 shekels, and that of each basin was 70 shekels. So all the silver of the vessels weighed in total. So again, just, just to do the math here, each tribe brought one silver bowl, each leader of the tribes brought a silver bowl and a silver basin. Okay, the bowl weighed 130 shekels, that was the, the weight of the silver, and the basin weighed 70 shekels, which means that each tribal leader, and they all brought the same exact thing every day, each tribal leader brought a, a total of 200 shekels of silver, right? 130 plus 70. You with me on the math? 130 and 70. This is the weight of the actual, listen, if you're buying silver, they always weigh it. You're like, okay, you just pay by, by weight. It was no different then that it was measured by the weight. 130 shekels of weight and then 70 shekels. So that's how much, uh, that's how much, how much silver was donated, a total of 200. Times 12, 200 for each tribal leader, times 12 tribal leaders brings the grand total to 2,400 shekels according to the holy shekel. 2,400 shekels worth of silver was donated by these 12 tribal leaders. Now, 12 gold spoons, we said before, uh, that each one brought a gold spoon filled with incense, total of 12. Now each spoon, how, how, what was the weight of each spoon? Each spoon weighing 10 shekels, according to the holy shekel. So what's 10 times 12? You got it, 120. So all the gold spoons added up together totaled 120 shekels worth of gold. So there was 2,400 shekels worth of silver and 120 shekels worth of gold. Let's continue. Let's continue. Let's tally up the animals. The total of the cattle for the burnt offerings, 12 bulls, each one brought one, 12 rams and 12 lambs in their first year with, with their meal offerings, and there were 12 young he-goats for sin offerings. The total of the cattle for the peace offerings was 24 oxen, each one brought two, 60 rams, each one brought five, 60 he-goats, each one brought five, and 60 lambs, each one brought five in their first year. This was the dedication offering of the altar after it was anointed. So the total was 2,400 shekels of silver, 120 shekels of gold, 12 bulls, 12 rams, 12 lambs, 12 he goats, 24 oxen, 60 rams, 60 he goats, and 60 lambs. That was it. That was uh, the, the grand total of all the donations, of all the gifts, of all the offerings brought by the 12 tribal leaders on the first 12 days of the Mishkan's opening. All right, let's continue. Close out the Torah portion with verse 89, and then we're going to go back to do Rashi's and some other interesting ideas. When Moses would come into the tent of meeting, this seems unrelated, by the way. This is like, it's coming out of left field. We've been talking about the Levites. Sorry, we initially we were talking about the Levites. In this week's Torah portion, we're talking about their role, what they carried, how they were counted. Then we spoke about the offering of the, of, of the, the Nisim, their gifts, each of the 12 days, the total. And now, after a whole Torah portion of all these different topics, boom, verse 89. When Moses would come into the tent of meeting, remember the tent of meeting was the inner building. The Mishkan had an outer courtyard, a courtyard um, that constituted the Mishkan space, but the actual tent of meeting was that inner covered space. When Moses would come into that space, into the tent of meeting, to speak with God, with him, God, 
Moses would hear the voice. The voice should be a capital T and a capital V. It means the voice, God's voice, speaking to him from the two cherubim above the covering which was over the Ark of Testimony. So the voice emanated, at least it sounded like it emanated from on top of the Ark, the two angels, the cruvim, the cherubim that was covering the Ark. And he spoke to him. God spoke to Moses in that fashion. You know when you hear a sound and you can kind of localize it? When Moses went in to the, to the tent of meeting, that's where he heard the voice emanating from. Just to clarify, he did not go into the Holy of Holies. He did not stand in front of the Ark and behold its presence. As you know, only one person once a year was allowed to go into that space to, to where the Ark was. That was the high priest, on Yom Kippur, specifically to achieve atonement for the Jewish people. This was not a, uh, a space to go into for any other reason. Moses did not go into that space. He stood behind the curtain or the outset. The, the, the tent of meeting had two spaces, the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodashim, the general space and then the, the space of the, of the Ark of, of the Testimony. So Moses stood in the, in the general space, but he heard the voice as emanating from above the ark where the two cherubim were. Okay, I hope that makes sense. There's a lot, a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. We'll get into Rashi. We have some nice Rashis here. And then I'll share some insights. Okay, this was the dedication offering on the day it was anointed. Rashi. On the day it was anointed, he brought the offering. So what is the meaning, Rashi asks, of after it was anointed? In verse 88, it says in verse 88, um, this was the dedication of offering for the altar after it was anointed. What do you mean after it was anointed? It, it, the bookend, right, of this tally is, the first verse says, this was dedication um, on the day it was anointed. That means on day one. And then here it says, in verse 88, after the tally, to conclude it, it says, this was dedication offering for the altar, after it was anointed. Was it, is it on the day or after the day? What's going on here? Rashi points out the contradiction. So, um, so what is the meaning of after it was anointed? Verse 88, Rashi explains that it was first anointed, and then he brought an offering. Sorry, this is still part of the question. That it was first anointed, and then he brought an offering, or perhaps... After was anointed means after some time later. In other words, after a while after, uh, sorry, a while after it was anointed, and on the day it was anointed does not mean that it was offered on the day it was anointed, but it comes to only tell us that it was anointed by day. So which is it? Were these offerings brought on day one and uh, days one through 12, or was it brought at a later time? Which one? So Rashi explains, however, when scripture says on the day they were anointed in Leviticus, we have already learned in the one book ago in Leviticus 7.36 that it was anointed by day. We already know that. So then what is it on the day it was anointed here teach us? That can't teach us that it was done by day because we know it was done by day. We have a verse in Leviticus that tells us that. So it must be that, it, that on the day it was anointed, he brought the offering. It was brought on that day. At least the first day was on that day. In other words, not to confuse things, just to keep it very simple. Rashi is struggling with two verses that seem to imply different things. One verse seems to imply that the offerings, these offerings were brought starting from day one of the Mishkan's opening. 
Another verse seems to imply that it's after it was anointed. Well, which one is it? So Rashi concludes that it was on day one. Day one is when it started, and then it unfolded from there. Twelve silver bowls. Rashi explains the total is recorded here to show that these were the very same ones that were donated, and no disqualifying factor happened to them. In other words, none of the silver bowls had to be returned due to a manufacturing defect or some other disqualification. All of the donated items, they were in perfect condition and perfectly fitting to be accepted as a donation um, in the Mishkan. Okay, the weight of each silver bowl was 130 shekels. What does this teach us? Since scripture says in the account of the donation of each chieftain weighing 130 shekels, but it does not specify which type of shekel, therefore scripture repeats it here and includes them all, all the silver vessels according to the holy shekel. Basically, the Torah here repeats it to indicate that the shekels that we're talking about, the weight of the silver of the bowls, it was 130 shekels, was not just any shekel, it was of the holy shekel, the original OG shekel. Okay, next, all of the silver of the vessels, this teaches you, that all the vessels of the sanctuary were of precise weight, whether weighed individually or collectively. There was neither more nor less. That's a very interesting Rashi. You know, sometimes you measure something and it has a certain weight, and then you measure a few of the same items and suddenly your weight is, is off by a little bit. And you're like, well, which one is it? Which one's off by an ounce or two? And so what the Torah is teaching us that each one, each bowl weighed exactly 130 Shekels, each basin weighed exactly 70. Together, each one donated 200 shekels worth of silver. And grand, the grand total of that, 200 times 12, is 2,400. When you weighed each piece individually, it was precise, right on, right on the nose about, about the weight. When you weighed them all together, you had the same phenomenon where it was exactly, exactly, exactly the right weight. Um, very interesting Rashi about precision. You know, I guess if we were to apply this to our lives, I'm thinking now, you know, it would mean that we're careful not just about the, the well, it could work really both ways. You know, sometimes we're, we're attuned to the general mission. We're thinking, okay, if, I, if the objective, if the end is correct, then the individual steps can be sloppy along the way, but at least we got there. Right? At least we got to the destination. Torah says, no, the individual pieces have to be precisely measured and weighed. You have to be precise in the process. Some people think about the process. It's like, if I do everything right, then the bigger picture, whatever, somebody else will worry about. So here again, the Torah reminds us not to think not only about, this, about the individual, but also about the collective. And not just about the collective, but also the individual. Very interesting dual dynamic. Precisely measure both the bowls, the individual bowl, and all the bowls together. Okay, back inside. Let us continue. Twelve gold spoons filled with incense. Rashi. Why is this said? Why is this said? For it says in the account of the donation of each chieftain, one spoon weighing ten golden shekels. Does this mean that it was made of gold and it weighed ten silver shekels? Or does it mean that it was a silver spoon weighing ten gold shekels? For the weight of the gold shekel is not the same as the weight of silver ones. There you go. Were the spoons gold or were they silver but weighed by golden shekels? Gold. Well, yeah, that's what Rashi says. Therefore, Scripture tells us gold spoons, they were made of gold. Basically, Rashi is explaining that the Torah is, clear, is repeating it to clarify, don't think these were silver spoons 
weighed by a gold uh, weight measure. No, this was gold weighed by gold. Yeah. Uh, we did the total cattle. Okay, now we have Rashi on the last verse. Do I want to jump to the last verse yet? No. Okay, before we get to the last verse, I want to go back in time to reading number five. And I'm going to show, let's just do some Rashi on the significance of the weight of each item. Hold on, give me a second. Here we go. We're going to do some numerology. I mentioned a few days ago that we were going to do it, and so let's do it right now. One silver bowl, the numerical value, the gematria of the two words, sorry, the numerical value of the two words in gematria, ka'aras kesef, that's the Hebrew for one, a, a silver bowl, ka'aras kesef, um, amounts to, the total of that in the numerology is 930. What's the significance of 930? Corresponding to the years of Adam, the first man. Now, how do we get to, 400, to 930? Um, Ka'aras. Here we go. The kuf. Kuf is 100. Ayin is 70. Reish is 200. And Tuf is 400. Let's add that up. 400 plus 200 is, eight, is 600. Plus 100 is 700. And 70 is 770. Oh, look at that. Ka'aras. Look at that. Bowl. Who knew that the numerology of the word ka'aras, which means bowl, is, because uh, kesef is silver, bowl is 770. Unbelievable. The more you know. 770. And then kesef, silver, um, we have chaf is 20. The chaf starts here, but the number is down here. Chaf is 20. Samach is 60. And pay is 80. 80 plus 60 is 140. Plus 20 is 160. 160 plus 770 is 160 plus 770 is exactly 930. And what's 930? The years of Adam. So in bringing the silver bowl, the princes of the tribes, they were kind of recalling the origins of time itself, the origins of mankind. By the way, just so you know this, it's, a, it's a, an interesting little factoid about Adam. He was supposed to live 1,000 years even. It's like a, a nice whole number. Why did he only live 930 years? So the, the, the Midrash or the Talmud tells us that he foresaw that there would be a great individual, somebody who had a great potential, who was destined to die at childbirth. And he basically said to God, I would like to give this person some years of my life. Yeah. So he gave, he gave this person 70 years. And so he only lived 930 instead of 1,000. Who did he give it to? Who did he give it to? It, no, it was David HaMelech, King David. Oh my goodness. King David lived, we just, King David's birthday in Yartzeh is on Shavuot. He gave, we just celebrated it. He just, so Adam, Adam Harishon, Adam, gave King David 70 years that he, uh, from his own life, so he only lived 930 years. Okay, back inside. Let's look at more uh, numerology. Um, One hundred thirty shekels, Rashi says, alludes to the fact that when Adam began to raise a family to maintain the existence of the world, he was 130 years old. 
As it says, Adam lived 130 years and he begot, he had more kids at 130. He had Cain and Abel right away, but then he had more kids at 130. Listen, if, if you live to 930, yeah, 130 years old, you're a baby. I mean, right, think about it. It's like, oh, it's a little kid. All right, one silver sprinkling basin in the Hebrew, it's Mizrak Echad Kesef. The gematria of these three words, the numerology, is 520. How do you get that? All right, Mizrak, Mem is 40, Zion is 7, Resh is 200, Kuf is 100. Echad, Aleph is 1, Ches is 8, Dalar is 4, Kesef, again, Chaf is 20, Samach is 60, Pei is 80, you add those all together, I'm not going to do the math, you add those all together, and you get 520. What is that an allusion to? Alluding to Noah. We move from Adam to Noah, who began raising a family at the age of 500, and alluding to the 20 years before his children were born, in which the decree of the Great Flood was enacted, as I explained to be the meaning of the verse, his days shall be 120 years. This is why it says, Mizrak Echad Kesef, rather than Mizrak Kesef Echad, it says in the case of the silver bowl, Karas Kesef Echas, tells that even the letters of the word Echad are included in the calculation. In other words, the numerology includes the word Echad, Mizrak Echad Kesef. You do the gematria of all three words, instead, as opposed to the two words of the bowl, the silver bowl, because they're part of the numerology. You get 520, 500, the years of his life before his children were born. Um... Oh, sorry, he began raising a family at the age of 500 and 20 years before children were born in which the decree of the Great Flood was enacted. Okay? There you have it. 70 shekels. That was the weight of the basin corresponding to the 70 nations who emanated from Noah's sons. Look at that. Very good. So each one is related. So the numerology of the bowl, silver bowl, is 930 corresponding to Adam. And Adam is connected to 130 shekels because he began to have a family at 130 years old. Noah's connected with 520, and connected with 70 shekels because that refers to the 70 nations that come from the family of Noah. Um, one spoon weighing 10 shekels, one spoon corresponding to the Torah, which was given by the hand of the Holy One Basbihi. Kaf also means hand. Kaf can mean spoon and hand. Why? The two are connected because a hand, right, can almost make a spoon why am I finding a weird angle here, right? Gosh, it's much harder than it looks, by the way, to show a hand being cupped on live camera over here. So a hand can kind of make a spoon, uh, a container to hold things. So kaf, both are called kaf. So the fact that they brought, each one brought one gold spoon corresponds to the Torah, which was given by the hand of Hashem. 10 gold shekels corresponding to, and it weighed 10 gold shekels corresponding to the 10 commandments. Filled with incense, look at, you're going to love this. The, the gematria of Ketores incense is 613. Boom. There you go. Can't make this stuff up. Ketores is, hold on, is it really 613? Hold on, let me see. Ketores. Kuf is 100. Oh. Nope, 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 one second. Not so simple. It, it corresponds to the 613 mitzvahs, provided, hold on, that you convert the kuf into a dalit in accordance with the cipher known as apash gardak. Not so simple. This is advanced, high-level numerology. This is where you start substituting letters to get different numbers. It's a little bit of a hack over here. So you're switching out the kuf to a dalit. 
Okay, and then it's going to work. So let's let's do this. Um, let's start from the end. This the sof is four hundred. Rash is two hundred. That's six hundred. That's easy. Two oh nine. I'm sorry. And then the test is nine. So that's six oh nine. And we're four away. Then we have a kuf, which is usually a hundred. So we switch that for a dalit. We get four. We're good to go. Why can you switch a dalit for a kuf? Listen yeah. to this. Listen to this. There's a connection between the first letter of the alphabet and the last, and the second letter and the second to last letter, and the third letter and the third to last letter, and the fourth letter and the fourth to last letter, which means aleph and tough. Aleph is the first letter. You know what I feel like we're. You know what I feel like doing. Aleph, bet, chart. We're gonna hack the system like nobody's business. All right, hold on. Stay with me. Stay with me. Let's visit this. Oh come on. Let's let's get a. All right, it's good. It's fine. I literally am on a website that's selling an alphabet chart, but it doesn't matter. It's gonna work. All right. We're not gonna buy it, but we're gonna look at it. All right. We're gonna we're gonna rent the visual for right now. Um, take a look. Okay, Aleph is the first letter. Okay. Tough. Okay, tough and sub, whatever. Tough is the last letter. So okay. there's a connection, Aleph, tough. You can sw- switch these letters out sometimes. Bet and Shin are related. Bet and Shin. Gimel and Resh. Dalit and Kuf. So we swapped out the Kuf for a Dalit. The numerology of Kuf is 100, Dalit is 4. When you switch out the Kuf for a Dalit in the word Ketores, the numerology, or Ketoret, the numerology of that is 613, but it requires a little massaging, I, right? As Rashi points out, but you get 613, which alludes to the Torah. So the spoon, again, the silver bowl is Adam and his family. The silver basin is Noah and his family. The golden spoon is Torah, coming from God's hand with the Ten Commandments and the 613 mitzvot. All right, we keep on going. What is the bull? The bull corresponds to Abraham, of, who it's, of whom it says he took a young bull. One ram, what's the ram about? Corresponding to Isaac, of whom it says he took the ram and offered as a burnt offering instead of his son. The ram was brought instead of Isaac. And one lamb corresponds to Jacob, about whom it says Jacob separated the lambs. When they brought each tribal leader, on each day of the first whole days of the month, when, when, they, when they brought these animal offerings, it corresponded to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. One he goat for sin offering, Rashi says, to atone for the sale of Joseph, about which it says, and they slaughtered a kid, right? They, uh, they slaughtered the, the goat and then dipped, remember they dipped his coat in the, in the blood and they showed it to their father and said, look, we found this, I don't know, I hope he's okay. And father's like, oh no. So they dipped it in goat's blood. So to atone for that, they brought a goat as a sin offering. Um, for a peace offering to oxen. Beautiful. Rashi says, corresponding to Moses and Aaron, who established peace between Israel and their father in heaven. Um, then there were rams and he goats and lambs. Rashi says, three types of animals corresponding to Kohanim, Levites, and Israelites. And corresponding to Torah, the book of Torah, the book of prophets, and the, the holy writings. The three fives in this verse correspond to the five books of the Pentateuch. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Pentateuch. The uh, Pentateuch, whatever. The five books of Moses, the five commandments inscribed on the first tablet, and the five commandments inscribed on the second one, second tablet. Until this point, all of this comes from 
Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan, Rabbi Moses, the preacher. All of these insights and numerologies come from it. I will tell you it's a departure from the norm for Rashi. Rashi usually gives us the straightforward meaning of the verse. Now he's getting numerology and allusions and hints and Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Torah and Ten Commandments and 613 and Kohanim, Levim, Israel, uh, Israelim. It's a party. It's, a, it's very um, symbolic. I guess that's the point. And I guess the point is that even on a simple level, you have to say that there was symbolism. Because why did they donate these specific items with these specific weights? What was going on? What was the, what's the meaning behind it? So Rashi's giving us something. He's giving us some sort of symbolism. I guess when the gift is symbolic, even Rashi has to tell you the symbolism. In other words, the straightforward meaning of the verse is symbolism. Usually the straightforward meaning of the verse is straightforward. But when it's symbolic, when the verse is telling you about a symbolic gift, you got to go to the symbolism. I'm just explaining why Rashi, who usually gives us pshat, simple meaning, is going into remez, going into gematria, going into the, to the illusions, the hints, because the whole thing was um, um, uh, 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 was, was an illusion to something else. Rabbi. Yeah. Ra- Rabbi. Yes. Can you indiscriminately just substitute uh, an Aleph or a Tuff or whatever, whatever? No, it's a great, great question. Excellent question. No. You have to have a license by the Gematria Association. No, I'm kidding. They, there, 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 is, there are certain contexts which by, where by tradition we know that these letters can be, you know, can be um, replaced. Kabbalah speaks about it, and the, the sources that speak on Gematria also speak about it. I don't know exactly the ground rules, but I do know that Gematria in general is, is a tradition. It's not something that we're meant to be dabbling in um, and coming up with our own theories necessarily. I mean, we could, it's fine, but it's just not necessarily legitimate. But this must have been um, some sort of traditional teaching that we had that, uh, that this is the numerology. And it fits when you do that replacement. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. All right, now we're going to fast forward to the last verse. That's where we got up to. Rashi in the last verse. Very interesting and compelling Rashi. Um, here we go. Back to the seventh reading. Back to Rashi, very last verse, verse number 89. Just to reset the verse, the verse tells us that when Moses came into the tent of meeting to to speak with God, he would hear God's voice emanating from the two cherubim above the covering over the ark. Rashi, when Moses would enter, Rashi says when you have two contradictory verses, the third one comes and reconciles them. What does that mean in this context? Well, one verse says the Lord spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And that implies outside the curtain. Whereas another verse says, and speak to you from above the ark cover, which is beyond the curtain. In other words, remember the curtain divided. The curtain was the separator um, past which was the ark. Did the voice emanate from outside the curtain or from inside the curtain? Which one? So this verse comes and reconciles that confusion. Moses came into the tent of meeting. And there, from beyond the curtain, he would hear the voice of God coming from between the cherubim above the ark cover. So it actually came from 
inside, but it emanated outside. From between the two cherubim, the voice emanated from heaven to the area between the two cherubim, and from there it went out to tent of meeting. So interesting, it went down and then out, right? It came from heaven down to that space above the ark, and then it went throughout the tent of meeting to where Moses was standing outside behind the curtain, uh, not behind, um, on the outside side of the curtain, of the curtain. Um, speaking to him, Midaber, uh, this word is similar to mistaber, the reflexive form, literally speaking to itself. Or maybe it was spoken, as, a, as opposed to he spoke it, it was spoken. It is out of reverence for the Most High to express it this way. The voice would speak to itself, and Moses would listen to it. It's kind of like Moses was overhearing a conversation that God was having with himself, but obviously for the ears of Moses, and Moses was listening in. It's just not that God was speaking to Moses, but God was speaking, and Moses was listening. Rabbi, just, isn't there a point um, that sometimes the Cherubim would be facing each other, and sometimes they would be facing away, but I'm not sure under what circumstance. Yes, excellent, excellent point. Yeah, the Talmud tells us that when the Jewish people were in a good space in their relationship with Hashem, the two Cherubim, which represented us and God, they faced each other, in a in in like the, with their arms wings in like an embrace, and when things were not so uh, so kosher in a, a collective relationship with God, so they actually pivoted and turned away, which of course was a miracle because it was hammered out of one solid piece of gold. It's not like it was built on a on a uh, on a swivel with a little button, you know, or a little hand crank that could turn them. It's not how that worked. And yet they they turn. Yeah, excellent. Um, and he spoke to him. God spoke to Moses. Oh, I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry. This should be sorry. He spoke to him. This him should not be capitalized. Is that referring to God? Yeah, well, he refers to God. He spoke to Moses, not to himself. I mean, I know Rashi just said he spoke oh. to himself, but this apparently should mean he spoke to, to Moses, him mean, meaning Moses. But Rashi says, thus excluding Aaron from the divine statements. In other words, God only spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting and typically not Aaron. Um, he would hear the voice. Rashi says, I might think it was in an undertone. Nice and quiet. Therefore, Scripture teaches us, no, the voice. Moses heard the voice. The very voice which spoke, to, which spoke with him at Mount Sinai, which was loud and clear. It's not a new voice or a quiet voice or an inside voice, you know, like what teachers tell kids, like, use your inside voice. We're inside, we're not in the playground, use your inside voice, right? This is... God not using his inside voice. It's using his outside projecting from the mountain so that everyone can hear, hey guys, I am the Lord your God. I took you out of the land of Egypt. Okay, that loud voice was the same voice that Moses heard inside the Mishkan, inside the tent of meeting. But, listen to this, when the voice reached the entrance, the outer entrance of that covered space, it stopped and did not proceed outside the tent. It did not go outside the tent of meeting. So it was the full voice, but it fully stopped within that holy space. I want to share an insight very quickly, an insight of the Rebbe on this last statement. Inside, it was the full voice. Outside, couldn't hear a thing. That's the way it is in life. When you put yourself inside the holy spaces, what I mean by that is, when you study Torah, you put yourself, you, you go inside the tent of meeting, you go inside the holy spaces, 
There you hear God's voice loud and clear. You hear the divine directives, divine communication. You hear wisdom. You hear guidance. You hear everything you need to know about life. You have it in, in the full volume. But outside, all bets are off. Outside in the world, the voice stops. You don't hear it. You don't see it. You don't see God. Um, I mean, you can if you choose to, if you, but naturally we don't see God everywhere. We see God in the synagogue, in the Torah study, in the prayer, in the mitzvah, in the holy spaces. That's where God is. The full voice is there. Outside, sometimes it's hard to hear anything. Lest this get us down, the Rebbe says, this is our call to action. Think about what Moses did. He went inside. God's voice was booming. He heard God's command. He walked outside. It was quiet. And what did he do? He took the message and communicated and communicated it in that space on that blank canvas. That remains our job to this very day. It's to go into a Torah class, to be inspired, and then to step out of the class and bring it into the landscape of our lives, to bring it into the landscape of our communities, to bring it into the landscape of our families, to bring it into the outside where you don't typically hear the voice. So, powerful marching orders for Shabbat and for this week and for the next week, etc. And that is, create time for yourself. And we're, you know, I, I, I know we all do it, right? You all do it. But create time, maybe a little bit more time, or be more conscious of the time that you're already investing. Create that time and space to enter the tent of meeting, where you're going to hear God's voice. You're going to have clarity on what mission is, what purpose is, Torah values, mitzvot, etc. And then when you walk outside, when the class ends, or when services end, and you walk outside, and it's now the real life. It's now like, oh, Real life. That's when the work begins. That's when the work begins. What Moses did was communicate the voice to the outside. That's our, that's our, our task to this very day. It's to communicate the voice that we hear, the messages that we hear, the, the guidance that we, that we have in Torah, and move it outside. Bring it to the outside. Bring it into everyday life. If, if the inspiration remains in the tent of meeting, it hasn't done its job. The purpose was to have a space that was filled with clarity and then to bring that clarity to the outside where there's oftentimes confusion. Why couldn't God create a, a reality in which the voice was everywhere, in which clarity is everywhere? He could have. He did. Call that heaven. <laughs> this is earth. This is a different reality. Most of the world is... The vast majority of space in our world is places where you don't naturally hear God's voice. Our job is to bring that consciousness into the outside. All right, I hope that makes sense. Um, I want to jump into the Haftorah. It is so beautiful. Because this week's Torah portion speaks about the mitzvah of Nazir, uh, as, we, as we discussed Wednesday night, the um, individual who takes a vow of abstention from wine and from haircuts and from coming in contact with the dead. So the Haftorah this week is a... Hold on one second. You bring me a seltzer. The Haftorah this week is about the probably the most famous Nazar in Jewish history, Samson. 
So we're going to read about his origin story. The uh, the 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 episodes or the what prep, what uh, precipitated his birth, what led to his birth. This is of course the great Samson, of Samson and uh, Samson and Shimshon. Anyway, Shimshon Hagibar, Samson the Mighty, the great warrior against the Philistines, etc. Haftorah. Here we go. It's a bit of a is it long? Eh. It's a, it's a narrative. It's a, it's a fantastic story. I'm gonna, I, my objective here is to read through the story, make sure we understand it, and maybe I have a few ideas, a few insights that I may want to share if we have enough time. All right, here we go. This is in the book of Judges. Remember, this is the time, the era. I mentioned this Wednesday night. This is the era before the kings. There, there had been no Jewish kings up to this point in time. The leaders were called judges. They literally judged the people, questions, provided guidance. They were spiritual leaders, but also um, military leaders. They, they had a little bit of both in them. Some leaned more toward the spiritual side, some leaned more, more toward the, you know, the physical side. They were a bit of a hybrid. All right, here we go. And there was one man from Zorah. In the Hebrew, it's Tzarah. From the family of the Danites, the tribe of Dan. And his name was Menoach. I'm going to say the Hebrew, not Menoah, but Menoach. And his wife was barren, and she had not born. Which means not only did she not have children, biologically, she couldn't. Listen to this. And an angel of the Lord. You want to say hi? Sure, why not? Shai is going to say hi. 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 Shabbat Shalom. Say Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> um, Shai just finished school yesterday. Uh-huh. Right? What grade did you finish? Fourth. That's right. And next well, year? Fifth. fifth grade. That's it. Next grade, fifth, next year, fifth grade. It's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a party. All right. And he's going to camp soon. Oh, my gosh, this guy. He's going to Montreal, Canada. All right, yeah, super exotic. Okay, all right, you're good. <laughs> uh, let's continue. So an angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, out of nowhere, an angel comes. By the way, the angel came in the guise of a human being, of a, of a, of a human figure, but the angel comes to her. to mit- Now, what's her name? She's not named. It's, it's very interesting. She's not named. There is a tradition of her name, and I don't remember what it is. I think there's a tradition of her name. She's known here as Ashes Menoach, Menoach's wife, which is not really, it's not really that specific. Was she, she wasn't. She was what? Was she really his wife? Yeah, 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 she was, oh. yeah. Yeah, Menoach and her were married. She oh. couldn't have children. So here's what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, now you are barren and have not born and you shall, okay, and, <laughs> No big deal. You shall conceive and bear a son. He acknowledges the fact that she cannot have a child. Physically. Physically, she cannot have a child. Nonetheless, he says, you're going to get pregnant and you're going to have a child. Consequently, and I think what this means is, because this is a complete miracle that I am sharing with you, please honor my request, which is coming from Hashem. 
Consequently, beware now and do not drink wine or strong drink. Do not eat any unclean thing. That means impure. Because you shall conceive and bear a son and a razor. We said this uh, Wednesday. Mora. The Hebrew word is mora. And a razor shall not come upon his head. For, in case, uh, you know, the angel's being very specific in case she's not getting it. For a Nazarite to God shall the lad be from the womb, from birth. He shall be a Nazar. And he will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Talk about a, a, a predestiny. Talk about a prophecy and a destiny for this kid. Whew. All right, here we go. That's the message that the angel delivers to the woman. And the woman came and said to her husband, saying, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. By the way, she's, she's not yet sure what happened. <laughs> Who just came to her? What, what? She, she calls this person a man of God, a whole, like a holy man. He looked like an angel, an angel of God. I mean, what does that mean? That means, I guess, on somehow she somehow she intuited that this person was not just the average person. This person was like holier than, than normal. Very awesome. Awesome here means no rama'od, like awe-filled, like, uh, you know, just, just taking one's breath away almost. And I did not ask him, she tells her husband, I did not ask him from where he was, and his name he did not tell me. I didn't get any personal, in case you're wondering, well, who, what, who is this guy? What's his name? I didn't ask. He didn't tell me. We, we didn't get there in the conversation. All he did was telling me this incredible news. And he said to me, she now tells it to her husband. He said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And now do not, like word for word, and do not drink wine and strong drink. Do not eat any unclean thing. For an Azurite to God shall, be the, shall the lad be from the womb until, oh, she adds. From the womb until the day of his death. I don't believe the angel said that. The angel said from the womb, she adds, until the day of his death. That's what she tells her husband. Manoah, her husband, now prays to God. And Manoah entreated the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, the man of God whom you sent, let him come now again to us, and teach us what we shall do to the lad that will be born. The husband says, whoa, I, I, I need a little bit more details. God, please send this, whoever this is, whoever this messenger is, send him to me, to us one more time so that we can get all the details. God listens. Clearly this guy had connections. Clearly Manoach was, you know, could pull some str strings. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoach. And the angel of God came again to the woman. And she was sitting in the field. And Manoah, her husband, was now with her. Uh-oh. He's, <laughs> he's again left out. No, no, no. So hold on. And the woman hurried and ran and told her husband. And she said to him, Behold, there has appeared to me the man that came to me on that day. Basically. You know what the moral of the story is? When your wife is out in the field, join her. You never know when an angel is going to come by and you can, you can both have the conversation. But anyway, she's in the field alone one day. The angel comes. She tells her husband. Her husband's like, God, send him again. He sends him again. And again, she's alone in the field. 
This time she's like, angel or, or man of God, wait, I'll be right back. She runs to the house, calls her husband, says, you, let's run, run. This guy's back in the field. So Manoach arose and went after his wife. Yeah, he, he followed her to the field. And he came to the man and he asked him, are you the man that spoke to the woman? To my wife, well, the woman. And he said, yes, I am. And Manoah said, now your words will come forth. In other words, let us know what shall be the rule for the lad and his doing. Give us a little bit more details. What, what, how should we raise this child? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, shall she, be, shall she beware? Basically, the angel says, I already told her. <laughs> Gotta believe your wife. Don't doubt your wife. Don't question your wife. Now, I don't know if he was questioning or just wanting more details, but either way, the angel said, I already told her. And I, and I know she told you already. But if you want, I'll, I'll tell it to you again. From all that comes out of the grapevine, she shall not eat. And wine is strong drink, she may not drink. And any unclean thing, she may not eat. All that I commanded her, shall she observe. Basically, I already told her. She already told you. You brought me here to repeat it. Okay, fine. You need to hear it from me directly. Sure, zaygezunt. Now you have it. Have a good day. And Manoach said to the angel of the Lord, let us take you now, sorry, let us take you in now and prepare for you a kid goat. Again, I don't think he knows he's an angel. I think he thinks he's a man of God. When Manoach prays to Hashem, he says, send, send the, the, man, the, the, the man of God that you sent prior. I think he thought of him as an oracle, as a prophet. And now he's speaking to him. So he says, okay, come to my house and I'll give you lunch. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoach, if you take me in, I will not eat your bread. And if you make a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. He's like, <laughs> the angel says, I, I'm not going to eat food. And if you want to bring something to Hashem, so then do it. You want to bring a, a burnt offering? A gift to God? Great, you don't need me. If you want to feed me? I'm not eating. And as the, the scripture itself clarifies, for Manoach did not know that he was an angel of the Lord. He just thought he was a, you know, a spiritual dude. And Manoach said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? And when will your word, sorry, and when your word will come, we, oh, sorry. What is your name that when your word will come, we may do you, you honor? He's all into the theory that this guy is an oracle and a prophet. He's like, tell me your name so that when we're blessed with a son, we can go back to you and bring you a gift. Ay, 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 ay. The angel is like just shaking his head. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you presently ask for my name since it is hidden? Why are you asking? Stop asking. And Manoah took the kid goat and the meal offering and he, offered upon, up, and he offered it upon the rock to the Lord. I guess it was a time period in history when one could bring a sacrifice not in the Mishkan, right? not in the sanctuary. Because Manoah is bringing an offering, it sounds like in the field, on a rock. So he takes the kid, go he takes the kid goat and a meal offering he offers it up to the rock, uh, on the rock to the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. And Manoach and his wife looked on. Something happened there. What happened? 
And it was when the flame went up from, the, from upon the altar toward heaven, and the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. What was wondrous? They had a fire. They put the offerings on the fire. And this angel, this man, with this man of God slash angel, just whoosh, goes up with the fire to heaven. Can you imagine? Can you actually imagine? I think we've all seen like UFO movies where something similar happens, but can you imagine the shock? And, and Manoach and his wife looked on and they fell on their faces to the ground. They were just like, it doesn't seem like even she knew that it was an angel. She also thought it was like an oracle. And the angel of the Lord did not continue to appear to Manoach and his wife. And was, he, didn't, he never came back. Then Manoach knew that he was an angel of the Lord. Then he knew. <laughs> what, the ascent and fire didn't give it away? All right. And Manoach said to his wife, listen to this, is a, this is a very interesting part of the narrative. And Manoach said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. He's like, oh no, we've seen too much. We're doomed. We're goners. We're not going to live. We saw the face of an angel going up to heaven. It's, there's no way we can live with this. His wife said, but his wife said to him, if the Lord wanted to kill us, he would not have received from our hand a burnt offering and a meal offering. So number one, if he wasn't happy with us or wanted to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our offerings. And number two, he would not have shown us all these things. And number three, and at this time, he would not let us hear such things as these. In other words, why would he kill us if he promised us a child? Are you with me on the argument? The husband says, Manoah says, oh no, we're done. And she's like, didn't you hear the message? The message is, you're going to have a son and you have to raise him in a certain way. Obviously, God wants us around to have a child and to raise him as a Nazir. So I think we're okay. I don't think we're going to drop that. And, the, and, and so it happened. And just, it's interesting because this guy, Manoah, he's like, he's just like, huh? who is this guy? Huh? God, show it to me. Who? An angel, a man. Oh, come here for food. Uh, we're all going to die. He's like very, he seems like a very reactive type of guy. And his wife is much more taking this in stride, much more level-headed. At least that's the appearance of this narrative. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, Shimshon. And the lad grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to come to him at times in the camp of Don. Remember, his father was from that tribe, the tribe of Don, between Tzara and Eshtael, Eshtaol, Eshtaol. That is the origin story of Samson, one of the greatest warriors in Jewish history, the mighty Samson. He was just an incredible general, incredible warrior in battle. He battled the Philistines in his time. A lot of the wars, a lot of the, the skirmishes, a lot of the tensions that had been building up, that had been flaring up over the years, in his times, he was able to to put down, for the moment at least, you know, because of his strength. The book of, uh, of Judges continues to tell the great, you know, tremendous stories of the feat, of, of the, the strength and, and, uh, of Samson and, and the feats that he accomplished. You know, ripping open a lion uh, with his bare hands and just, just incredible. Uh, t taking out, ripping out the jawbone of a donkey and then using it to kill, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of Philistine soldiers, just crazy stories of this 
you know, uh, you know, Hercules, as it were. I mean, they took it from us, but like this incredible, you know, strength of, uh, of, of a person. And of course, his downfall came when his wife cut his hair, which seems to be a repercussion for some relationships that perhaps were not so uh, uh, becoming of someone of his stature. But that's the rest of the story, and that's the end of his story. But today we read about the beginning of his story. So just one thing that I want to highlight, and then, and then we're going to close it out for Shabbos. One thing is this dialogue between Menoch and his wife, where you know he's sure he's going to die, and she says, no, I think God wants us around. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful message for all of us, and that is you know, we all have blessings. And first and foremost, we have to remember that if God gives us the blessing, he wants us to implement it. He's not looking to take it away or take us away. If God, you know, God gives us talents and abilities and opportunities, the message is for us, the purpose is, and the message for us is implement it. See it through. All right, wishing everybody a good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, Ray. Good Shabbos, Sarah. I want to wish you a Shabbos filled with peace, light, joy, and strength, and clarity. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for, uh, you know, over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing some more information about next steps, but certainly it will involve Torah study and opportunities to, uh, to continue our conversations. All right. Um, we'll see you all soon. Have a good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, everybody. Take care. Take care. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you.